So if we can put that verse that Aidan so kindly read out for us on the screen throughout the duration of this morning's sermon. And if you have your Bibles and you want to see the verse, it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. You know, Isaiah 40 verse 8 says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but this word of our Lord will stand forevermore. I'd like to take a brief look today at just this one verse from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, a letter believed by many to be the earliest of Paul's epistles, and certainly the first written to European Christians celebrating within a community of believers who having turned to God from idols, now standing strong in their commitment to Christ. Thessalonica, seaport city, part of the Roman province of Macedonia, known for being both a prosperous and prominent seaport center of trade, and a city still surviving to this day, known nowadays as Salonika, the second largest city in all of Greece, only to Athens, with over two million inhabitants. Originally founded, however, way back in 315 BC by the Macedonian king Cassander, who interestingly names the city after his wife, Thessalonica. Sister, no less, to the Greek military commander, Alexander the Great. And yet a city known up to this point for being thoroughly pagan, before, that is, first hearing the gospel preached to them as part of Paul's second missionary journey. Consequently, a flourishing church and a dynamic fellowship developing as they excel in their newfound faith resulting in becoming a continual joy to Paul as Timothy reports back to him now on their ongoing progress, no doubt calling to mind for Paul many pleasant days and memories spent with that infant church. The Lord's message, we know, having been received by the Thessalonians from Paul with great joy, and not only so, but now ringing out from among them, chapter 1 and verse 8, making mention of their faith in God, becoming known everywhere. So having been quickly grounded in Christian doctrine, Paul's labor among the Thessalonians being richly rewarded, his affection toward them visible in almost every verse you read within this book. So the church in Thessalonica, in many ways what we refer to as a model church, with Paul having many good things to commend the believers there for us. One of those things being that of their exemplary faith, leading him to write in chapter 1 and verse 2 that we give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, and all this in the sight of God our Father. Continuing on to make mention of, among other things, their diligent service, along with their patient steadfastness, along 
with their overflowing joy. I know that we as a community of believers here at LBC would only emulate that very same experience. The kind of faith that said, that sees the invisible, that hears the inaudible, and that touches the intangible. And Spurgeon, one time the English Baptist preacher, in order to clarify to his listeners what faith really meant and what it involved, he used to employ the following illustration. Supposing there was a fire, he'd say, on the third floor of a house and a child is trapped in the window above where the fire is. A huge strong man stands on the ground beneath the window where the child's face appears and the man cries out, jump, drop into my arms. Now as a part of faith, Spurgeon would say, to know first that there is a man there, second, still another part of faith to believe him to be a strong man, but the true essence of faith being this, entrusting that man wholly and then dropping out into his arms. And thus, a picture of what faith really is with regards to the sinners and with Christ. Now, all that said, I wonder when it comes to the subject of faith, and in particular, your own faith, how many of you here have ever been asked this next question? What religion are you? No doubt many of you have, and I wonder then what answer you gave to that question. What answer would you give right now if I were to ask you what religion best describes you? Well, hold that thought for a moment. Because the English dictionary, we know its definition of the word religion being the belief in and worship of a supernatural power or powers, especially a god or gods, a particular system of faith and worship, a pursuit of interest followed with great devotion. And yet, Nowadays, though, so many seen religion as being something outdated, belonging to the past of bygone days. And if that's your opinion too, well then think again. For as according to the Guardian newspaper researchers, as recent as 2018, reporting that 84% of the entire world's population now identifying with some or other form of religious grouping. might also surprise you to know that there are over 4,000 recognized world religions consisting of churches and congregations just like ours here at LBC, along with other faith groups, tribes, cultures, and movements. And of the world's major religions, Christianity, or at least teaching-based on and surrounding the life and work of Christ being the largest with more than 2 billion followers. The predominant religion here in the Republic of Ireland, as according to our most recent census in 2022, of course being Catholicism. 69% or 3 billion of our total, or 3 million of our total population 
and yet that percentage down from 76% in 2016 and 84.2% in 2011. Catholicism down a staggering 54% and declining among our younger population aged between the age of 16 and 29. And yet what's interesting to see there in all that, that when it comes to religion in Ireland, the next largest grouping after Catholicism being Go for it. I thought that too, but no. Actually, those for whom declaring on their census forms no religion or no religious belief. A figure accounting for no less than 14% of the total and that figure up from 10% in 2016 followed by Protestant, 2%, Muslim, 1.5%, and other Christians, 1.3%. Alarming statistics there, and yet something not just unique to us here in Ireland, 1.2 billion people, or 16% of the entire world population, now declaring themselves as having no religious affiliation whatsoever. So leading so many to suggest that the, perhaps the world's newest religion comprising, ironically, of those for whom declaring no religion. Those for whom, as according to, are, who are not associated with any church or any faith, and therefore what we refer to today as being secular, comprising in the main of atheists and agnostics, or what we say as irreligious. Now all that not anything new. Because to quote Serenica, the first century philosopher of ancient Rome, religion is regarded by the common people, he said, as true, by the wise as false, and by the rulers as very useful. Contrast that 19 centuries later with the words of explorer Sir Richard Francis Burton, quoted one time for saying that the more I study world religions, the more I am convinced that man never worshipped anything but himself. On a lighter note, and somewhat a little closer to home, I don't know how many of you here will be familiar with the singer-songwriter from Northern Ireland called Van Morrison. He wrote a hit song back in the 90s, and he called it No Religion. The lyrics some of you may recognize And they ask what hate is. It's just the other side of love. Some people want to give their enemies everything they think that they deserve. Some say, why don't you just love your neighbor? Go ahead, turn the other cheek. But there's nobody on this planet that's ever been so meek. And I can't bleed for you. You've got to do that your own way. Because there's no religion. No religion. No religion here today. Now watch the next line in Van's song. And it's so cruel to expect a savior to come save the day because there's no religion, no religion, no religion here today. Now I must admit, I rather like the melody of that song. 
But the lyrics, however, to a degree, they kind of bother me. Leave me somewhat, in a sense, pitiful for Van Morrison if that really is his true understanding within those lyrics of who exactly Christ is, what he came to accomplish. Because thankfully, we know, and as according to Scripture, exactly what it was that Christ came to accomplish. Seen through that of his forgiving, his delivering, rewarding, perfecting, resurrecting, and sanctifying, along with reconciling all who come to him and place their faith and trust in him. That, my friends, is what we refer to as the gospel. And so it is that that contradicts Van's song lyrics there because what we know from Scripture is that Christ truly does come to save the day and to save you from the consequence of your sin. And yet we live in a society still, don't we, with many problems surrounding religion. Look no further than the religious tensions here in our own country, here in Northern Ireland. Those of us who are a little older will have grown up in much different days of religious tension than what our younger children now experience. Further afield, religious tension seen in places like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict almost daily on our television screens, the Syrian civil war, Nigeria, Sudan, along with many others, all were in religious elements, sometimes radical, being overtly present. And yet, despite many still questioning if religion really having any influence any longer. Indeed, there is some truth to that claim. Religion as we know it, in continual decline in popularity in Western Europe, along with North America, and yet, interestingly, at the very same time, increasing everywhere else. Islam, for example, now the world's fastest growing religion, growing twice as fast as the world's overall population. Let me explain that. Between 2015 and 2060, the world's inhabitants are expected to increase by 32%, but the Muslim population is forecast to grow by 70%. And therefore, Christianity predicted to lose its top spot in the World Religious League table to Islam by the middle of this current century, now just over 25 years ago. Back to my question. What religion would you say best describes you? Because to quote evangelical writer, theological teacher and founder of Torchbearers Bible School, Major Ian Thomas, for whom I'm thankful to have sat under his teaching when a student at Cape and Ray Bible School, he once said that there is something that makes Christianity more than a religion, more than an ethic, and more than the idle dream of some sentimental idealist. It is that something that makes it relevant to each one of us right now as a living, contemporary experience seen in the fact that Christ himself is the very life content of the Christian faith. Now, all that put simply, that it is he, Christ Jesus, who makes Christianity tick. 
summarized so well in just our one verse that we're looking here on the screen this morning. The one who called you is faithful and he will do it. The Amplified Version puts it like this. Faithful and absolutely trustworthy is he who is calling you to himself for your salvation. And he will do it. He will fulfill his call by making you holy, guarding you, watching over you, and protecting you as his very own. Added to all that, God's character ensuring how he will fulfill in you all that to which he says he calls you. Scene worked out, for example, that whenever someone's stepping out in that leap of faith, trusting as it were for the very first time, their very lives along with their very eternities into the arms of Christ and how there is nothing in that for them to be fearful of because as according to Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they are safe. Why are they safe? Because all he calls, he is faithful to. And all he promises to do, he will be the one who does it. Faithful, that is, to complete all the work prepared for you in advance. Faithful to his promises to you and faithful to all those for whom he calls. One of his richest character attributes and promises, in fact, to his children being that of his faithfulness. Meaning in simple terms that the one who calls you to him can be trusted. He can be trusted, that is, to do everything he says in his word, the Bible, that he is going to do. If that were not the case, it would mean that he either lied to us when telling us this or that later on, having told us, he decided to change his mind. James 1 verse 17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God not only being faithful to you, but so too he is unchangeable. And unlike so many of our politicians that come knocking on our door, he will not tell you one thing today and they go away and do something completely different tomorrow. The Old Testament Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 saying, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a human being that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not make it happen? And yet though, if we are honest, last I checked, as believers we're supposed to be honest, aren't we? Many a time in our own strength we would fail him and indeed we have failed him and maybe you're sitting here listening to me this morning and right now you're sitting in failure. But never forget this from God's word. God cannot and he will not ever fail those for whom he calls. And so we are called by him in and through our faith here and now to live out our Christian lives unto the Lord, proving that in his power and the power of his strength at work through the Holy Spirit in and through you. 
just seeing he's done with so many believers all down through the generations. Proving himself, working through and working in the lives of so many of those for whom he is called. Starting with leading you first to being at peace with God, then at peace with yourself, and thirdly at peace with everyone else around you. And I trust this morning that you are at peace with all your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Seen worked out in the believer's life through such things as comforting the discouraged, helping the weak, having hearts for the lost, along with godliness and patience with everyone else you encounter. Taking lead from that of our Lord Jesus Christ himself and his example, seen worked out in things such as turning the other cheek sometimes, or extending the hand of friendship to the unlovable, as he commands all of his followers to love our enemies, to bear with one another, to forgive one another's trespasses against us. Just as he has forgiven you through his death on the cross. And not as some are inclined by repaying evil with evil, but instead casting all our anxieties, casting all our cares, casting all our hurt, all our pain, all our burdens onto him and not onto someone else. You know, a good definition of gossip is when you talk about somebody to somebody else compared to a definition of prayer being when you talk about that same somebody to God. Unto him who is in according to Jude 1 verse 24 is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And oh, what a day that one day will be. When on that day we will see with our own eyes his exceeding joy over all of us for all our joy lived out in him here and right now today. That, friends, is the crux of this morning's message, the amazing truth of what we discover when reading this one verse, that the one who called you is saying that he is faithful and is saying that he will do it. He who calls you, he who calls you is a faithful God who will do that for which he calls you. Otherwise translated, we are not to do all this Christian living by our own selves and by our own strength and rather understanding how God is saying here today how he is going to be the one to carry out all the work needed to be carried out in you along with carrying and holding the weight of all your burdens in order for what purpose? So as to bring you to spiritual maturity. Christian songwriter once said that he carried the weight of the world upon his shoulders. Then I know my brothers and sisters that he will carry it for you. Where all we need do is, and as Isaiah opened our service this morning saying, 
is to rest in his love, obey his word, yield to the work of the Holy Spirit, the inner man, through things that, as outlined by Paul elsewhere, rejoicing always, praying continually, along with giving thanks in everything. Did you hear that? Giving thanks in everything. I must say, I'm still in the school of learning with that paragraph. Sure in the knowledge that this is God's very will for you as you live out your earthly lives here as his children for whom he has called. That's what our verse on the screen there really means when it says he who called you is faithful and he will do it. Christ himself, the very dynamic, the very lifeblood of all his demands upon his followers. Philippians 2.13, backing that up when it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In conclusion, equally important, something not to be missed in all this, I believe, is how Paul, in the midst of this great commendation, to that model Thessalonian church, also voicing a word of warning to his readers. The danger for all of us, especially as believers here today, of placing the strength required to live out your Christian life, not as we are in God, but instead in that of our own strength. Friends, that is not the way God works through the life of those for whom he's called. Thessalonian church today here, yes, a model church, but contrast that with Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, or Lord Jesus speaking one time to the church in Ephesus with these words of warning, saying, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And note there that there's a big difference when you've left your first love and losing your first love. When we lose something, we usually have no idea where it is, do we? But when we leave something, we know exactly where it is and we can return anytime. You know, this morning and throughout the week as I was preparing this, I was wondering, was there any of you here having left or perhaps even now having lost your first love that you started out with for Christ. What perhaps might he have say over you on reflection when you first trusted him on that day to compare to where you sit listening to this message this morning. Take home lesson being this. Trusting in Christ's faithfulness means Trusting him, not only for the death that he died on the cross to save you, but so too for the life he lives and longs to live both in and through you. Trusting him in such a way whereby, whereby the very next step you will take this morning when the service ends will be a step taken in the very energy and in the power of God himself, so lived out as a child of God, but done so in the very strength of God. Trusting him to see you all the way through your earthly journey here 
straight into your eternities there forevermore. And all that, as we say, only being the very beginning of the story. John Newton once said that when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Let me ask you the third time. What religion would you say best describes you this morning? Driving in Hickey and Stephanie home from small group one winter's night, I asked in Hickey, how come there are so many Christians in your home country, Brazil? His answer having struck and stayed with me. Words to the effect saying, yes, but ask all those who pay, pay claim to be Christians, how many of them really know Christ? I mean, know Christ personally. How many of them have a living relationship with Christ, seen worked out by the strength of God working in and through them daily? Or perhaps could it be that they just have a relationship? Maybe we'll read the verse out together as we pray. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.